Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined today by Andy Murray to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We review and preview Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, Dynamite, Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews. We host roundtable discussions and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle culture. Look, I'm going to apologise in advance. I had a big, intense travel day yesterday. I'm catching up on minimal sleep. I've been on the drink. I've been on a two-week <laughs> holiday to Crete. So uh, this is probably not going to run all too smoothly. Adam Wilborn is much better at this hosting gig than hey, I am. Listen, um, but he's off this week, so I'll do my best. <laughs> you might not get move for move recaps. I might get lost at various points, but you know I've got takes, and that's. Possibly the most important thing on the subject of takes. What's your overall take on this uh, second Triple H Raw? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was largely the same as last week for me in that I didn't think it was really the statement show. And that was the exact word that was, that was um, kind of given to the reporters before last week's show. That uh, it was necessarily billed as, but I thought it was a good enough, enjoyable enough pro wrestling show, um, which is certainly very welcome after 40 years of Vince McMahon tropes, um, some of which yet remain on the show, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps one that also brought a number of challenges that haven't really been discussed en masse by the wrestling commentariat to the forefront, um, which we will go through as we progress through this show, but certainly... Uh, I mean, these Triple H shows, you know, not masterworks by any stretch, but a lot better than what they were before, at least. They're a lot better. Um, I've got kind of a philosophical issue with my coverage of this new WWE, which is very surreal for me to say out loud because (laughs) I've been off on holiday since, like, the bombshell dropped and all these changes have happened where I still don't feel... That it's it's just weird being patronizing about a wrestling promotion with the resources that WWE has to say, aren't they good for uh, treating a title with dignity and not just as this ridiculous afterthought that exists to drive content? It's I find it patronizing. I always have to talk about the curve. It's just I, I'm compelled to do it. Um, and it's just this weird sort of, I'm fractured. Do I praise the bare minimum? Or do I actually have a note of optimism in my voice for the first time in years and years and years? I will oscillate wildly um, between those two <laughs> things as we go on. And um, 
Yeah, we might as well just start at the very start. Um, Bailey, you'll sky? That's right. All caps as well, baby. Like, the very first show was SummerSlam, was it not? Or was it the SmackDown? It was uh, SummerSlam, yeah. And, like, the, the, yeah, a name change. Like, straight yeah. away, it's like there always are going to be just specific WWE habits. It's very important that you remove one syllable from her surname, friends. Yes. It's just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. So we get Bailey, um, Eel Sky. It's going to take a while to get used to that one. And Dakota Kai um, start the show with a promo. They basically say... Things to the effect of this division needs saving. Uh, what's missing from this division is hunger. Uh, we are here to revamp an ailing division. And who cared about Becky Lynch and her stupid costumes? And there's a few more subtle digs at the, the <laughs> latter day Vince McMahon creative direction until they are interrupted um, by Alexa Bliss, Bianca Belair, and Asuka. Um, this promo exchange, not a not a train, but an exchange sets up genuinely what could be a really good match at Clash at the Castle, mm-hmm. which I'm really looking forward to seeing, particularly for the exchanges between Asuka and Sky. Uh, and that should be absolutely tremendous. Um, but basically, Bianca Belair they cuts the crap and says something to the effect of, we don't want to um, talk anymore. We just want to fight. You want to take control. I want to lose I it. I want to lose it. Really good. I bet you the writer had a right little bloody, you know, Excited thing. Yes, he was very excited about that one. And then it instigates a brawl, and it's unwatchable, in my opinion, because the camera cuts (laughs) are absolutely incessant. Um, I think, genuinely, what I saw from this brawl was an elusive pro wrestling energy where they were really committed to doing it. And there's quite a bit of brawling on the show. You don't really get it from uh, the Fed. Um, So it was nice to see, even though you could barely see it, because Kevin Dunn remains um, at the captain of this ship. Um, I'm going to try not to talk about all of my takes on all of Triple H's WWE because it could take forever and, you know, we don't want to go too long on the Raw review. But for me, right, this is a nice idea, better than it's a really engaging and effective story in that Dakota Kai is just so much better as a babyface. Bailey is so much better as a babyface. I think that this is a case for me anyway of people deserving the spots and me being happy for them being in the spots rather than being this great storyline with great casting in and of itself. Nonetheless, it's great to see you get the main roster treatment and get treated with an actual reverence and serious as a threat. And the brawl, again, what I saw of it was pretty good. And I'm looking forward to the to the to the six woman. Yeah, definitely good and bad to this, I think. Um uh, you know, these these kind of opening segments are beyond played out in WWE. We don't need to dive into that. It's Kind of a case of the more things change, Triple H, the more they stay the same here. Uh, and then you go to the, the Kevin Dunn uh, style of production there as well, and it's kind of like another thing. But um, it is nice to see uh, actually the, the almost the full breadth of the women's division highlighted in this spot rather than it just being man comes down and does a man story. It's, it's good to see um, that at least over two weeks of Raw and SmackDown as well with the gauntlet match, it's nice to see that... Uh, the, the the hope that the division is going to have more of an emphasis under Triple H is actually being realised, which is good. And like, yeah, the storyline is the, the the feud that we have here is so Triple H. It's so like black and gold NXT, and that it's hey, it's just a bunch of people you like, and they're all going to come out and they're going to stare each other down and brawl. Um, but it brings a different energy to Raw, like you say. I like the brawl. I like the fact that we didn't have to linger on like the awkward period where they all get split up, like it cut to the commercial and then they they'd been dispersed. Um, I think that the the 
the Bailey Helms groups, in, for lack of better name, their core narrative is solid enough. It's like, uh, well, no one recognised how really great Kai and Sky were. Uh, EO had been in developmental for years and years and years. Kai got cut outright. Uh, it's it's good stuff. I think, however, Bailey was a little off her game here. Uh, she seems quite rusty. Um, not commanding or showing the kind of confidence typical of the role model character. She got lost a couple, which is not a big, big deal. But when you're trying to deliver this message in front of the audience for the first time, it's quite important that everything is held together. It's quite important that they're in control. Hey, and when they're not, it's quite ironic. I will prove it to Dakota Kai, who recovered from the fumble brilliantly, yeah. I thought. Yeah, it's good. Like, I really, I really like this group. Um... I'm already kind of, like you know name changes are what they are. I'm already kind of used to this one to be honest. It's it, it's better than Gunther with the illusions that that came with, right? And I'm used to Gunther now as well. So here we are. Um, it's just a, it's a really cool pairing, and like it actually makes sense as well when you listen to their narrative. I saw a few people. Yeah. Uh, why am I going into this kind of nonsense? But about a few people going, oh, they've just thrown two people together. Well, then you have the narrative threads there to make it make sense. And it does make sense. And you're right, the trios match, uh, all of these people are extremely talented and that trios match will, uh, it, to borrow a common term, bang. It's going to be awesome. It will bang. I don't think the next match did, but it advanced the storyline nonetheless. Look at me, that is the bloody... Um, patronizing. You're like me reviewing SmackDown in 2016, man. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great, but it pushed the story forward and it accomplished its goals. <laughs> the mega fans will have to forgive me because I reiterate this take constantly. Do you think, like, uh, fans of any other medium, right? Like EastEnders or, like, whatever, or Game of Thrones or whatever it might be, will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit rubbish, this, but uh, storyline happened. Yeah. They're meant to. It's a, it's a fictional <laughs> television show, but regardless, uh, this was <laughs> Seth Rollins defeating um, Angelo Dawkins. Dawkins in about nine minutes of a pretty standard fair raw television match and story around which involved uh, Montez Ford trying to live rent free uh, in the head of Seth Rollins by mocking his um, selling and just basically trying to throw him off his game, which led to a great pound spot over the announce table. Seth Rollins is so great at being blindsided. It's like, really mm. quite hard because when you are like anticipating that mm. you shouldn't be as he just basically loses himself in the moment i thought it was the highlight of the match which was won by um, rollins and uh, once montez ford was banished uh to the back after a spirited enough effort there was a nice um near fall um but rollins won um with the pedigree and that basically functions to uh advance this like slow split between the street profits yeah yeah kind of Ford's exuberance getting the better of him um, when it worked to his benefit early on with the pounce spot when he when he was the distracting factor there later he gets in the ring with a chair and he just gets too carried away gets thrown out and that contributes ultimately um, to Ford well, sorry Ford getting thrown out contributes to Dawkins losing the advantage of having him there um, so yeah I, I echo I think like Seth's and this is a regurgitated take again. It doesn't take much to go, Seth Rollins is good, but his floor is really high. So this year in particular, when he's when he's wrestling, you're going to get a good match at the bare minimum. And I, I, I do like what they did with this in terms of like dodging, the, constantly dodging the stomp shows that Dawkins isn't just some dumb guy. Um, he's learned from the Ford match the previous week uh, and... and 
Seth, but he's one step ahead because he should be one step ahead. This is a tag team wrestler he's facing, so it's like, okay, the stomp hasn't worked. Oh, pedigree, eat that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to pick apart here, is there? It's not the kind of thing that warrants this this thorough in-depth breakdown. It was just a good, solid TV match with satisfying enough action that you will take every single week on Raw, um, given the way that through the last years of Vince McMahon's creative life, given how tedious some parts of this show have become. I'll take this every day. Yeah, I'll take this every day as well. And one little note before we move on, I was a little bit terrified by what I thought would be Triple H's cheat code, given that his very first SmackDown started with a half an hour long TV match. I'm thinking his approach was, right, okay, I'm going to, and he did this so often during his um, Twilight years in NXT, of I'm going to add an extra six minutes minimum to a TV match thereby making every sort of critic or fan begrudgingly accept it as worthy or good mm. in terms of other... Well, they work really hard to put the graft in, so I can't really criticise it ethically. Right, okay, that's my cheat code to getting away from an absolute critical slaughtering this week. But um, this week didn't really do that. Um, yeah. This didn't need to go any longer than nine to showcase Dawkins as someone, as he said, who was in some scrub, but didn't need to go 15 minutes because I hate conflating TV and pay-per-view I just, yeah. I just don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, we head backstage where um, we run into, and again, it's invisible camera stuff. WWE is always going to be a little bit like WWE, whether you like it or not, and regardless of who or not's in charge. But Edge um, war, sauntered up to the Mysterios, said, you know, I've got your backs tonight, you know, the Judgment Day are about. Um, and then Edge fronted up to, to Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of these two being equal or having a conversation like between adults is just so weird to me. But anyway, regardless, he said, like, look, it was a mas- uh, it was a mistake. Um, didn't mean to spear. It was an accident. It's wrestling. These things happen, buddy. Um, are we cool? And Dominic was like, yeah, man, we're cool. And shoves him. <laughs> I was like, well, are you? Because it doesn't really seem like you're cool. Uh, whatever. Um, basically, Ray was like, no, 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 this guy's family, this family. Uh, we've got a long connection. I've known him for 20 years. And Dominic says, well, I've known you for 25. Um, and he's like, no, I can't believe you're taking his mm. side. And, you know, just again, it furthers the split between um, the Mysterios. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Anything involving Dominic Mysterio is pretty bad. It's it's quite funny, Edge, uh, Ray going to bat for notoriously trustworthy man, Edge, over his own son. Um, I get it, the shared connections and stuff, but uh, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, Dominic forced into situations where he has to act is uh, always going to be quite a rigid experience, I think, to be polite, and... You know, it's a split that has basically been teased for about a year and a half now. So um, I would really like to see some serious headway made on this if they're going to do it, if they're not going to do it. If you're not going to do it, just stop this stuff altogether. Um, Later on, Dominic proving that uh, his best role on the show is actually being unconscious. So... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's mean, right? But he doesn't really uh, project anything that's going to make you invest to a degree, does he? <laughs> yeah, this comes from Andy Murray, who doesn't like burials. Honestly, man, I thought I was harsh. I thought I was harsh. That's <laughs> honestly the most perfect <laughs> description of his uh, of his qualities or lack thereof. Um, in another extension of... This is, in fact, the Triple H era. Kevin Owens absolutely destroys Ezekiel, and this pretty much was a write-off, was it not? This was great. This was great. (laughs) So he just absolutely kills Ezekiel, who didn't get an entrance. This is basically just a less-than-subtle coded message of, 
We are not going to do anything yeah. further with this Ezekiel character. He is going to be treated like a jobber, then as a corpse, and it's basically um and power bomb, stretcher job. The idea being that Kevin Owens is going to be the guy he was in like late twenty fifteen. The psychotic, unhinged heel who doesn't mess about. It's a bit of a shame because he's really got some comedic chops, but, you know, he probably does have an actual one last main event run as a serious guy um, in him, and it appears the the table has been set for that to happen. Yeah, this was great. I mean, I I always go back when it comes to Kevin Owens smashing just a loser. I always go back to the Alex Riley feud in NXT. Oh, my God, it was great. That was sensational pro wrestling television, just taking this this pathetic guy and crushing him at every single opportunity and getting really petty with it as well. Uh, yeah, this was this this ruled hard. When I saw Ezekiel in the ring with his music already playing or whatever, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm Ezekiel. I was like, you're getting geeked out, my yep. friend. Here we go, baby. And uh, this was the only guy taped capable of taking that just one note rubbish Vince McMahon penned material making it watchable and just smashing it under his boots probably like a couple of months after the character had ran its course it's just ideal he smashes into him the apron powerbomb which was his kill shot in NXT puts him on the stretcher if I have one complaint I would have liked to have seen Kev get even more just needlessly violent. I would have liked to jump off the apron and smash him while he's on the on the uh, being carried away by the medics, right? While he's being stretched out, just get some shots in, just be like even worse. Um, but yeah, this was good. It was just the one sided shellacking of a gimmick. I think most would agree was only ever watchable because of KO. Yeah, and uh, like you know, it's a great character, the prize fighter. Um, Owens is like one of the he's one of the most valuable guys in WWE in terms of just being able to occupy space on this free hour show and make it watchable and make it entertaining whatever role you put him in whether it's working all the way at the top of the card with Chris Jericho when he was Universal Champion or it's doing a mid card feud with rebranded Elias and the split personality weird thing that's been going on he's he's gonna make it worth watching because he's so witty and he's so charming and he's just a great tv guy so yeah all in on this very encouraging uh you can probably tell from my tone that i'm not a big fan of uh, ezekiel so watching that gimmick getting flattened hopefully something else is in his future a very satisfying across the board yep Absolutely. Um, less than satisfying, the judgment take. Actually, you know, I would say this is uneven. I don't want to be too cynical because there's a development here that I really quite liked um, and it had little to do with the promo itself. So the judgment day come out and they're talking about how uh, Bala says it's funny that Edge and Ray thought judgment day should fear them because there's no such thing as fear. Um, but danger's real and I am the danger. Um, I can't really do accents as everybody knows. I am the danger. That was bad too. <laughs> Yeah, we're both, we both suck. Yeah, we're terrible. both the absolute worst. But the, ge- the general gist is, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's absolute word soup. Um, scripted WWE nonsense here. And this yeah. was a little bit, um, you know, you can have the praise. You can have a little talk about Papa H, even though it's absolutely nauseating. But there's still writers and there are still um, instructions in this company. And Damien Priest and Finn Balor alike both did the, like the sort of the the disastrous pauses between the sort of like nonsense verbiage yeah. and funnily enough they were absolutely assaulted with what chance and it just between the the, the the cadence and the way less clever than it thinks it is verbiage this just got absolutely rejected by yeah. the audience one thing i did like however is that damien priest challenged edge 
in advance for a match in Toronto with the idea being I want to embarrass you in your sort of home city or home country or wherever the frig edges from. There's a not... There's a, there's a rather AEW-like approach to this where they are actually naming the city. They are attaching um, a significance to the city and the story which sort of gets characters over, makes you believe they're not just idiots scripted by idiots that they do have an mm-hmm. interior life they do have emotional attachments that they do have motives to really destroy people and their emotional attachments and again it, it, it is bare minimum stuff but i do like the idea of i love the region specific stuff in mm-hmm. aew and how they manage it and you know it shouldn't be just theirs to have and I like how they're going to do this match in that city. And it should be really, really hot as a result because it's something worth promoting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the uh, to, to, to focus on it, I think it was his first match in Toronto in 12 years or something yeah. is going to be. So it's good stuff. Yeah, it's good, 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 good stuff. I think um, with the Judgment Day, this is probably going to be one of those acts that does take a little while longer to transition from Eros, isn't it? Because it was so... It's one of the most elaborate and regimented things with the, the, the entrance and the spooky verbiage and the way they talk and the riddles they weave and, you know, something that was probably quite carefully, maybe that's not the word, but regimented, crafted by the writers and all of this stuff. So when you're coming from this era of extreme agenting and everything, maybe something like this isn't something you can just rip the band-aid off. Um, would we prefer it that way? Well, I maybe I would. Uh, it's not my favorite stable in the world, even though I like the personnel involved. Presentation just doesn't play to my sensibilities. No, uh, mate. I figured we'd be in agreement there. Um, so maybe it's just something that, that that's going to take a little while. You know, I'm, I'm very reticent to use trust the process as an argument when it comes to these free initials of WWE. However, uh, new guy penning the script, I guess. Uh, the, you know, there's been reports of wrestlers uh in some cases not necessarily been given the same script they would have before some people are getting the blueprint some the, the bullet points that was always the way of doing things before all of this kicked in some uh talk of some loosening in the ring as well drew and sheamus apparently uh, called that old-fashioned donny brook from a few weeks ago in the ring uh, which is probably why it was so good um so yeah encouraging stuff it's probably just a good example i think of you know, a lot of people, when these changes were announced, were like, oh, it's going to be a, re- a revolution creatively. It's going to change everything immediately. I always thought it was best to err on the side of caution, not necessarily from a place of cynicism, just from a place of... Experience. Exactly. It's going to be an evolution, appropriately, rather than a revolution. Very poetic. Um, up next, there was some stuff with, like, uh, I think Don went missing. I love the idea of because they treat him <laughs> like he's 12, that you could literally imagine, right, we're going to have to put him on a milk carton. <laughs> right, absolutely. And then we he's get, such a loser, isn't he? <laughs> know, it's, it's so weird oh, watching him. Dog. He's meant to be 25. Daniel Garcia is 25. And that is the, the difference between these well, two companies. boys in this business. Yeah, but boys in this business. And the NWA has got some men. That's the... <laughs> and then we get Finn Balor versus Rey Mysterio, right? And you know what I like, Marie? What what I li- you know what I like? I like pina dro- coladas. Um, margaritas. Mar- sorry. Oh, speaking of, if I did like pina coladas, right? Do you want to know one of my shelved um, FPL names? Hit me. PNR Colada. <laughs> PNR Colada. Tremendous. 
I was really struggling for FPL names this year, man. It was a tough shift. I just did a Twin Peaks reference. Yeah. Firewalk with me. Very yeah. good. Very good. I almost uh, last year, and this will resonate. This will resonate only with about two or three people who are listening to this, but it will resonate extremely strongly. I was Pfizer Soze last year, which is a double play on words that only people who watch Scottish football will get. And um, this year, I, I, I ran. I was like, "Well, I'm not going to do better than that." Like, I love a niche reference, right? That hits only with like five people out of a hundred. Uh, couldn't concoct anything better, so I went with Free Deirdre Rashid, which will mean even less to listeners of this podcast. But there we go. I don't know what that means. Oh, it's Coronation Street, mate. Are you not up on your lore of uh, Weatherby? No. Evidently not. No. All right, moving swiftly onwards, Curly Watts. You know what I love? Drama. Right? <laughs> ah, I love drama. I love feeling that you've been lulled into something happening and then the heart rate spiking by something else then happening and just being lost into a story. And I kind of was here with like overbooked is like a negative term. But yeah. This was like overbooked in a really good way. And um, it wasn't just your typical, all right, these guys can go 20 minutes because they're so great in the ring. Like my cynical expectations of a Triple H produced Bala versus Mysterio match. This brought out uh, the Judgment Day and Edge had a great brawl and the fans were really into it. And by the end, um, Rhea Ripley dragged out the aforementioned <laughs> unconscious um Dominic played his role to perfection. And you thought you were going to get a distraction finish. In fact, it was subverted and you got an absolutely cracking near fall before Finn Balor did, in fact, beat Rey Mysterio. But there was one great moment where um, a deliberately terrible, I think, slash hope, um, three amigos suplex where Finn Balor did the most half-assed, Orange Cassidy-esque Eddie Guerrero shimmy. And then Rey Mysterio, who actually feels like an alive baby face again, was like, no, don't do that, you dickhead. I'm going to do the suplex. So this is some really nice moments of spike and drama and like baby face resolve and baby face defiance and baby face guile. And I've said three positive things about a baby face in a single WWE TV match. So change must be coming. But, you know, Finn Balor in the end got the win. And, you know, it's the right result. You want to heat this up before it makes the paper. And I thought this was genuinely really good. Yeah, it was a good example of, like you say, the tropes uh, being employed very effectively for the right outcome. Um, I'm really, like, Rhea Ripley seems to have a vendetta on poor Dom. Like, she popped this guy like a zit last week yeah, yeah. Um, in the corner. And then this week, she's like, I'll beat him up again. Take that. Um, it, it's, it's good stuff because... They dealt with the Damien Priest interference extremely well. It was inevitable. You knew he was going to get involved. Immediately, he gets wiped out by the... Edge runs down, blah, blah, blah. Brawls him through the crowds. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you forgot about this one, too. Um, you thought your son was uh, safe You thought he, after he'd gone missing? Oh, no, I killed him. So, yeah, good stuff across the boards. Um, happy... With the outcome, happy with the execution, just a happy. I'm a happy guy, man. As you can, as you can tell from my from my tone. <laughs> what I liked about this, right? And again, just another contrast because people want to know the contrast. People are always asking, like, what's really the difference, or what do you expect to see the difference between the Vince WWE and the Triple H WWE? What you got here was really exciting, unpredictable um, pro wrestling, overbooked but good for it with like actual physical things happening, where you got brawls into the crowd that the crowd went really, really hot for. You got a typical seeming distraction, and then they subverted it with a great near fall, and the fans really got behind Rey Mysterio as a result. This is really well-crafted, in-ring, pro-wrestling storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. 
that was the Triple H version of what he's doing with the Judgment Day stable. Vince McMahon's version with what he did with the Judgment Day stable, literally every single week, they came out with an even worse script than the one that they got given here and just reiterated the premise of the stable week after week after week. We are the Judgment Day. This is what we're here for next week. The exact same thing. Just so many pointless, wasted words. And then you get Triple H involved, and that is actual, genuine in-ring pro wrestling. And it's advanced the story in a much more loud, exciting way. So there's a goddamn contrast for you. Um, we go backstage. Sarah Schreiber interviews Tamina and uh, Dana Brooke. And the idea of her saying she's going to be a two-time champion is just ridiculous. You're not a champion. You've got a comedic belt. <laughs> but regardless, that's something that I believe years ago, 2019, the, US, the USA Network actually pitched. And they've just loved it ever since. Yeah. So that's going to just be a mainstay. I suspect Bailey um, and the rest of... Are they actually called Control? Yeah, it's the word they've been using a lot, but they've not officially been branded that yeah. yet. So we can call them that. People will know. People will know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll call them control. Let them know, in the words of uh, Top Dollar. There you go. I don't, I, honestly, I did not think Top Dollar would ever get referenced on a wrestling podcast <laughs> ever again. That's how much he's just completely fallen by I the wayside. We watched, uh, we watched his uh, WrestleMania weekend match in the office and had a great time for uh, earnest and less earnest reasons. Yes. Um, what a hoot. Man, Top Dollar, what, what a fun, chaotic presence to have around the wrestling industry he was. I hope he makes some kind of like high-level comeback. You know what? I agree. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. He was good for the discourse. Exactly. He was fun. Like, it was just like, it was what? Just chaotic, wasn't it? What's this it? guy doing? He's he's rapped about the Young Bucks and shoes and stuff. Was good, it was a good rap as well. It's fun. I love yeah, that. Yeah, no filter. Like, no, absolutely no political nows whatsoever. And it, it, it's undone him, but, you know, he was, yeah. uh, I miss his presence as he well. He legitimately thought he was, like, the best promo in the world as well. Yeah, and stuff like that. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. I know you do what's best for business or whatever, but hey, guess what? It's not our business, so flame out. enjoy the ride. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just Go for it. Flame out Imagine if like, he went to Impact or something and just like had a fun five-week run where he pissed everyone off. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, let's go, Frank. And then the inevitable, the inevitable report of, yeah, yeah, he's been quietly dismissed because he was just an absolute <laughs> shit disturber. Yeah, no one liked him. Sorry. <laughs> so this guy. Backstage segment sets up the first round of the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. Um, it's between Io Sky and Dakota Kai against Tamina and Dana Brooke. I'm going to be honest. This is, I've seen far more disastrous Tamina matches. She, in fact, actually interacted with the crowd and got them to pop for her stuff at various points. And again, it's bare minimum, but you know, it is Tamina. This went far too long for me. Yeah. Far too long. And again, it's circling back to what I said at the start of the podcast where I like the players involved. I'm earnestly happy that they are getting spots. I don't necessarily think the stable or the way they're telling the story is great because they instantly retreated despite having a one-woman advantage at SummerSlam. Um, And now they are giving way too much to Tamina and Dana Brooke Mm. in a 10-minute match. This just kind of reeked of something, again, that didn't happen too much on this show of, we've got three hours to fill, so let's fill it this way this week. And I don't think you'd be needing to give 10 minutes to destroy two people who've been stigmatized as absolute 24-7 geeks to the detriment of your new sort of, like, main event women's division act. But nonetheless, the result is right, at least. Um, Sky and Kai get the match done in 10 minutes, and I don't think it did a lot for them, if I'm being honest. No, they should have really just bulldozed 
Tamina and Dana Brooke. I know Tamina's larger, like the powerhouse type style, which uh, might demand an element of protection in other circumstances. But in this case, you know, she's it's 24-7. She's been in storylines getting married on air recently and joke angles and stuff. And it's not like she's this imposing, credible force. Um, yeah, no need for it to go so long. I agree. There was some fun stuff i think on the offensive front from sky and kai uh, when they got going they they showed that they've been drilling things and working on uh, exchanges that they can do to opponents um it's kind of a similar story with tamina when she when she has to control the match a little bit you know she's 12 years in and has there been a demonstrable level of improvement i don't necessarily think so the samoan drop here was particularly uh clunky yep is the word we'll go for um yeah i mean i I wonder what's going to become of dana brooke here um you mentioned her like on the news this morning and like her work ethic and how that's noticed behind the scenes and perhaps that'll be rewarded it's just interesting to think of the 24 7 title because the division you know the antics have not been represented now for three raws in a row she had the belt tonight and she acknowledged it and said i'm going to be a double champion all right kenny omega yeah. uh on on the show but there was no you know no one was chasing her they even acknowledged it quite cutely didn't they bailey or or whatever member of her group was like i'm not going to pin you for that get lost um i wonder what they're going to do with that because that's been her signature recently over the past few months um USA Network wanting it probably means it's sticking around. Personally, I would have Bailey melt it <laughs> into oh, like God, I into like I, I don't know, like a crowbar or something. Um, but yeah, interesting future ahead, I think, for Dana Brooke. At least they did it. You know, this tournament's full of thrown together tandems, particularly on the SmackDown side, where I think every team is like, all right. Sure, no worries, because they have to, because the division's not developed. At least they endeavored to go, hey, we're in the same division, and we kind of like each other, so we're teaming up. You know, they're geeks, whatever. They're in the 24-7 division, but hey, it's something. It's something. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Indeed. Um, something we talked about on the news, which, you know, you can watch on YouTube if you like, if you've not already, in which... Uh, who interviewed Kevin Owens? Uh, Kevin, Kevin Patrick! <laughs> you were doing a bit. I was doing a bit, man. Doing a bit. Um, Kevin Patrick. He says, uh, <laughs> basically, this is Kevin's Owens basically saying something to the effect of, um, you know, I'm back. It's Kevin Owens' show. It's, he's basically saying, without saying the words, I'm going to be the Kevin Owens of 2015 again, whatever. Um, and they have the scene in the background, which is not mentioned on commentary, or it's not acknowledged by anyone in the in the foreground of the scene. Which is quite remarkably astute, given the history this company has of just throttling the 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 audience with exposition and in your face explanations of what's going on. They are trying to create this conversation online. Oh, have you noticed that in the background? What's this? What's this? And it's a show-long version of a storyline where basically a sedan, I think it was, um, is found crashed in Dujweb and uh, Nikki A.S.H. Like, what's going on here? It's ridiculous watching Nikki A.S.H. in a cape involved in this real secretive... (laughs) This is a shoot scene back here. So there's a bit of a distance there that I found amusing. But nonetheless, I'll give them credit for not trampling the back of my skull with information, which is how I would describe how they do virtually everything on the show and that leads to something a little bit later which we will get to uh momentarily um ray and a trainer check on dominic who was um unconscious <laughs> best role they <laughs> re-air the um u.s title video from last week which again bare minimum stuff but you need to do this and in fact like it's just genuinely really quite astute. And these are simple yeah. moves that need to be taken and in fact are getting taken so they should have um, they should get praised for it. So, is this the bit? Yes, it is, right? <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. Oh, no, they've had the, the, this is where they have the interview, right? Where, I think, anyway, this is the bit where the interview, I'm completely lost at this point. I'm very, <laughs> very tired. Where Tommaso Ciampa yeah. is backstage. And he's talking about his upcoming title match for the US title with Bobby Lashley. And he says, with a straight face, that he dedicates the match to Harley Race, they have the Harley Race gown in the background of the shot, and he's going to wear it and all the rest of it. And he says, with Harley looking down at me below, and the Miz having my back, I'm going to have the belief to win the title. Murray, take it from here, because putting those two names in the same stratosphere is more of an insult to the legacy of Harley Race than it was putting Jimmy Anvil Nightheart on a table. Yes, exactly. Um, what a bewildering uh, choice here, the level of esteem with which whoever uh, penned this segment or came up with the concept uh, holds Harley Race to is clearly not what they think it is if their comparison point, their direct comparison point, their comparable legend is uh, The Miz, who 
you know, with all due respect to him and what he's become, and I think he's, you know, one of the enduring, very, very good, much improved mid-card heel presences of this company uh, over the past few decades. He ain't Harley Race, brothers and sisters. And uh, yeah, so like, Lots to, to to chew on here. I think it's probably quite safe to say that without Triple H, this probably doesn't happen because uh, Triple H is a known Harley race guy as well. He copied everything from the facial hair to the title, to the lengthy title reigns and stuff. Clearly modeled himself after Harley for to a the long knee. time. To, even, to the yes. bump, even to the bumping technique, yes. it's very, very patterned after Harley. 100%. There's a lot of parallels there. So you can see Triple H being all for this. Also, Harley clearly means a lot to Champa as well. You can tell that from his promo. Um, so, yeah, good. Like, Harley was the first US champion as well. It's also almost the three-year anniversary of his passing. So it's like a very appropriate conceptualization. Um, but for me, this kind of really just hammered home. It's overdue for me that... that Tommaso Ciampa kicked the Miz to the curb and got on with his business. I think that, you know, you can make the... And I think it's a very WWE brains kind of argument that, oh, he's sharing screen time with this former world champion who's been here for 15 years. And it's like, yes, true. Uh, but the Miz is a geek. He's a dork. That's kind of his whole thing. He's a eating heel. He uh, exists to be a cowardly prat and then get his ass kicked. He's not a credible dude. He's not a serious threat. Any advantage he's ever held over anyone he's gained by cheating or taking a shortcut he's you know that's what he is and it's a great classic professional wrestling role but champa buddying around with this guy he doesn't glean him any kind of creativity uh credibility sorry you're not building champa up as that kind of character so what's going on here it's odd and i agree it just needs to be brought to a swift swift conclusion um but ultimately i'm sort of optimistic about the direction um, around Tommaso Ciampa because Bobby Lashley versus Tommaso Ciampa was great. Superb. What a fantastic, dramatic match this was. There's tons of interference uh, from The Miz and uh, AJ Styles comes on at some point, doesn't he, as well? Yeah, twice that bit where they chased each other out of the ring in the middle of the match was like, okay, guys, cool. So it's, uh, Yeah, that was a bit redundant. And there's some smoke and mirrors here, but if anything, it just added to the drama. And this match was stunningly loaded with it. Um, I think the idea was, and they told it very, very well indeed, that Tommaso Ciampa was completely outmatched physically by Bobby Lashley and his attempts to sort of get an advantage were slimy at first, but then with incredible subtlety, Tommaso Ciampa is so good and you forget how good he is. Like he sort of like really rules to the occasion, like in the storyline, in the context of the match. Um, particularly with his prolonged selling of the Hurt Lock and he's just his desperation not to tap out, even though he was like wildly flailing in pain. Um, that was like the most notable example of him kind of wrestling, sort of evolving into a babyface yeah. or showing more and more babyface characteristics throughout the match. And um, there was a few like great near falls, there's a few great like sort of submission counters to Lashley's power game as well. Like at first, I'm watching it thinking they're kind of taking the piss here because I've been watching Champa just be this weird Ms. Lackey for so long. And it's not the size disparity because wrestling's fake, guys. And <laughs> you can tell the story. Like, Big guy, little guy is one of yep. the best matches of all time. So it wasn't that. It was more like the aura and the profile disparity. And yet, Champa was so good in this match. And that's not saying that Lashley wasn't. They both combined to create something great here that I really started to believe that he was going to win mm -hmm. because he wrestled so well 
and it was such a mature, balanced, like forward-thinking performance I found. But yeah, Lashley wins with a hurt lock, but this is just a perfect example of how, and I say this every goddamn week, losing cleanly is exponentially better than winning through corny means. Yeah. Like look at Kenny Omega and Wrestle Kingdom yep. 11. Losing is sometimes the absolute best thing that could ever happen to your career. Yeah, it's it's proof of the fallacy of the protection argument when it comes to dirty finishes and stuff, isn't it? I think that, you know, wrestling shouldn't always be conclusive, but it should be conclusive a lot more than it has been in WWE over the years because it's not even just that we're all so tired of the the screwy finishes and the distractions, a lot of which do remain on this show at the moment. Um, but the, the comfortably the most effective way of quote-unquote protecting someone is for the loss to come at the end of a story. Uh, the thing that WWE is... is often, I think, misguidedly praised for by your your kind of Pritchard types on podcasts and various other names that I don't really want to mention is, oh, they're storytelling, they tell stories, brother, because this person came out and did a distraction. Nah, man, like, a story is a size disparity compensated for perhaps by superior skill, uh, which is kind of what this was. It's... Uh, that's how you do it, man. You give someone a clear, concrete reason for losing that isn't necessarily a shortcut that's come out of some writer's pen. It's Tommaso Ciampa lost this match because Bobby Lashley, at the end of the day, was the bigger, more domineering guy, but still had to dig really quite deep, which is testament to how close Champa was able to push him. He got the Willow's Bell on him and, and Bobby kicked out because he's just such an unkillable force of a dude. Uh, Bobby had to go all the way into the hurt lock, which he couldn't get on until the end of the match. It's what happens between, you know, those two bells is infinitely more protective than some dopey finish. Yeah. You'll remember the quality of this match above, oh, look, WWE, you've done another bad finish. It's just, yeah, really cool to see this on TV. I, I love this match. I thought it was really great. Um, I, and really, if you want to rebuild these titles, as they've earnestly doing with the U- US title, it's been a good couple of weeks. I've tweeted about this. Um, great matches are a really good way of doing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was just full of admiration for all of this and a notable use of the Gargano escape as yes, well. in Cleveland. In Cleveland of all places. But yeah, the crowd was really into this. The crowd was really, really into it. Um, there was a brawl um, stemming from um, the mid-match interference uh, between AJ Styles and The Miz and your main event is um, announced for later tonight. Piss off. <laughs> just just piss off. <laughs> yeah. I have a main event set. Like It just makes no sense. Yeah, and that just makes it, it just makes it so fake and I will never, ever stop dying on this hill. It's one of these things, isn't it, that feeds into the, you know, understandable that changes are going to come. We spoke about that earlier. It's going to take a while, blah, blah, blah. You can't, you know, build Rome in a day, whatever cliche you want to use. But uh, not doing impromptu matches is a change you could have made really easily straight away you click your fingers it goes away it's not something that needs this 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 length of time to to do um a reminder that although triple h is the one with the final say uh, bruce pritchard and about 40 reality tv writers with no experience in professional wrestling are still the ones who are probably forming the bulk of those creative meetings absolutely absolutely up next we get a very quick um one on two handicap match and moss defeats uh two geeks and that's it. This, to me, scanned as we might want to do something with Amos. We might as well. He's been all over the show. He has, like, sort of a little thing just to tide him over a little bit. 
Yeah, not not um Oh man, it's it's hard to go too far into the guy because he's so inexperienced. He came up with just six house seal matches to his resume, but still for me, uh beyond like plodding moments and stuff, still for me struggles to impart the kind of impact in his offense and menace demanded by his monster role. And those are things that simply cannot be learned. No. So yeah. sorry. Correct. We go backstage. He's not good. Uh, we go backstage to Seth Rollins, who does a pretty good impersonation of Riddle. Um, he was asked. Uh, apparently, Riddle's coming in next week for some kind of challenge or some kind of revelation about his injury status or whatever. Um, and Kevin Patrick asks him, "What do you think Riddle's going to have to say?" And Seth Rollins, just with a great deadpan, he says, "It's Riddle. <laughs> what does he ever have to say? The guy is thick as anything. He's just going to say stuff like cool and." Dude and bro, he's not really going to say anything. And uh, look, he's pretty good. Is Riddle in the ring? But he's very—he's even better at flushing his potential down the toilet. Just ask Dana White. Oh, got him! Yeah, the amount of overturned fight outcomes that man had in the UFC. Uh, look up his record, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, quite uh, interesting. Yeah, and he invoked Cody Rhodes as a verb as well. He did. That was fun. Which is quite fun as Seth's well. Good man. Uh, the next match was incredibly depressing because it was Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable in the first three minutes of the which is mint. Like, yeah. actually distinctive action, completely atypical, not just the in-house WWE style, but most anything you'll see in North American TV. Yeah. Um, I love AEW for its range at its best, for its complete range. I don't think I've seen busted out amateur wrestling chops quite as beautiful as this. Yeah. What a struggle. What like a really unique, captivating micro story they told with just absolutely exemplary um, amateur-leaning offense. And this crowd <laughs> is dead. And I'm so depressed. And I'm ask, asking existential, Christ, uh, existential questions about what WWE can even be yeah. if these ingrates in the audience cannot appreciate great wrestling. Because if it's not great wrestling, what is it? A DQ factory? Who wants that? Yeah. I just don't know what they want if they don't want this. But my, that just might be my personal bias creeping in, creeping in because I love Chad Gable. And there's certain moves like a, a, a suplex and then a DDT, which get a big pop. But everything else, the beautiful interest intricacy like a really distinctive struggle was just met with absolutely abject silence and look as much as i enjoyed this match right i don't necessarily want to see Dolph Ziggler get a push but that is what this indicates is happening yeah this was um a shame a real shame that's definitely the word for it uh that it wasn't received all that well by the crowd until the kind of uh the bigger bombs the more recognizable bombs came out particularly as like and i thought the way that they transitioned from from greco-roman or amateur wrestling you know utilizing their own immense backgrounds in that the way they transitioned into more traditional wrestling was really really sharp as well like gable just so seamlessly pulling off that german suplex the rolling german suplex oh the version of chaos yeah just sensational oh, stuff man so um, awesome but ultimately, for me, this very good six-minute match that I loved um, highlighted the biggest, one of the biggest challenges awaiting Mr. Triple H in this role, uh, that being the rewiring of brains to accept his vision of the product as 
what it's going to be and as something that they're going to cheer for and all of that. Because ultimately, that's going to be the thing that defines whether or not he's a success or a flop in this role. Because it's all very well having these matches that are going to appease guys like us and, you know, our, our Twitter bubbles, because we, like you said in the news this morning, we cr- curate who we follow and usually gravitate towards people of similar tastes. We could go on Twitter this morning and see these reactions and go, oh, that was amazing, blah, 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 blah. But there are like 10,000 people in that arena, perhaps, who were like, Eh? Yeah, what's this? What's going on? Where's my fireworks? Where's my popcorn, baby? Um, so, you know, for all the talk, and it's a continued battle for, and this isn't some culture war bollocks, I don't want to get involved in that, but for all AEW's, the continued battle of AEW is reconditioning people, um, not necessarily people who are like of our age group who've watched loads of wrestling and were there for the Monday Night Wars but and have seen lots of different stuff, but reconditioning people who've seen a 20-year monopoly and accepted WWE style as the absolute norm um, and doing away with that theory and, and returning more to traditional pro wrestling bits and pieces and not leaning on so many shortcuts. Triple H now has to do the exact same thing with that exact audience and it's an unenviable task. I think... This this ruled, like, break from the house style. Hell yeah, these guys are great amateur wrestlers. Chad was at the Olympics. Dolph has his own pedigree. Makes so much sense for them to go out and do this. And I, I really got a lot out of it. But, hey, I'm one guy. There's there's however many viewers there. Will it catch on? I don't know. I'm, I, I hope it does because I enjoy this a lot more than just have some six-minute house-style standard raw match or whatever. Um but yeah, it really highlights one of the biggest hurdles that Triple H has to leap. This could be a big challenge because if you evaluate the success of that strategy, which, as you said, is retrain the audience into accepting another style of pro wrestling, I would describe it, given the broken brains on Twitter, as an absolute colossal failure through absolutely no fault of AEW's trying because at the peak of that promotion, just look at CM Punk and MJF yeah. and how absolutely incredible it was. It's just one example. Yes, they brought back long-term storytelling like they said they would, and you got so many babies going, oh, I don't understand, why does why has he got a different entrance theme? Yeah. Even though it was actually explained by Excalibur, like, people just do, do not want to learn. People are, they would rather outwardly look like idiots and admit to being thick to own AEW for doing a somewhat niche thing. Yeah. People would people are prepared to look actually stupid than to accept something new. And yet, unenviable, Murray, as you point out, is the word. There's a backstage interview with uh, Nikki and Dujueb where um, uh, they talk about something, but it's not the point. The point is you're meant to look at the car in the background and some investigators sort of rushing past it and there's been a crash in what's going on. And then we get to the main event. It's um, AJ Styles versus The Miz. I would describe this as a reasonably fun plunder brawl. I don't like the fact that it was impromptu. Maybe I'm being generous because at least it's not Miz in a singles match. And as much as it wasn't impromptu, it didn't feel excessive for excess sake, like a ladder match leading to war games, which is a particular bugbear of mine during the first Wednesday night war because Styles and The Miz have been feuding for quite some time. It's it's, it's fine. It's you know If you get some Kendall sticks, it elevates about three quarters of three quarters of a star onto Miz's work. Um, Styles wins. think that's going to bring um, that feud to a conclusion. And we get sort of a cliffhanger because as AJ Styles celebrate, um, Dexter Loomis is seen. It's not meant to be him. It's meant to be some kind of disrupting fan in like a hooded jacket, but it eventually becomes obvious that's Dexter Loomis, right? And I'll bury the hell out of this. 
I'm going to say one nice thing, then I'm going to bury it right. I don't know why Dexter Loomis is there. It is good that they're asking the question. If you if you connect the events of the, the crashed car, the urgency with which Loomis was entering the ring, does he have a message? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, what does he want to say? What kind of? It's, it's, it's not for me. I just don't like it. I just like Jim Crocker promotions. But <laughs> if you're going to do this kind of show long sports entertainment angle involving a serial killer, the fact that he's crashed the car means he's desperate to be here for some reason or mm-hmm. other. That's meant to make you think. Well, what's Dexter Loomis got to say, or what does he want to do? And that will be the cliffhanger leading to next week's show, right? This goddamn company. Right, first of all, Dexter Loomis, in my opinion, is not very good. Sure. He coincides, much like Karrion Cross, with the downfall of NXT. And the fact that Triple H is insisting, it would appear, on making Karrion Cross happen after he resolutely failed to happen is really not unlike... Vince McMahon with his pet projects and just defiantly pushing people who fans are not prepared to see in those roles. It's just a different guy doing the same thing that Vince did. I'm sorry, that's as Vince McMahon as it gets, regardless. My other big problem with this, right, is that this company cannot keep a camera concentrated on a single scene, object, move, strike, whatever, for more than three seconds. We don't mention enough how intolerable this is as a viewing experience because, again, we are so it's so normal to us now, right? You can watch a punch get thrown that takes less than a second and somehow Dunn will conspire to shoot it from three different angles, right? There are so many cuts. The one time you wanted to make it look like there's someone at ringside who shouldn't be there, right? And, he, and it's like a tracking shot. From Paul Thomas goddamn Anderson of this person who's not meant to be there getting filmed. I was like, are you joking me? Yeah. Have a little bit of elegance about what you're trying to tell with the story. Guy who, for all intents and purposes, you've not seen him yet because you haven't booked this because it's not fake. A fan's entering the ring. Cut away, cut away. Mm-hmm. The mere set, like, obviously you have to work it to a degree. But as soon as you say, oh, he shouldn't be there, right? Cut away. Um, pan to the crowd. Just be more elegant with it because this was... Poorly done, in my opinion. Yeah, Kevin Dunn got to go. Um, it's kind of one of the final pillars of this old boys club. Um, that's, you know, for me, he's a detriment to the product. I don't think that WWE can truly feel distinct or new or fresh until his signature style of production has gone the way of the dodo. Um, yeah, Dexter Loomis, right? Yeah. <laughs> interesting situation to analyze uh subjectively i'm not really a big dexter loomis guy i thought he was uh quite amusing in the way um the wedding and all that was fun whatever um but as a serious threat i i I probably have some personal biases that i need to overcome before i can really get invested in this but that's fine because acknowledging them i think is just as valuable as 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 being earnestly fired up and into it maybe more so in fact because you can stay detached and keep at arm's length but um so i agree pretty much with everything you've said um i do i do appreciate like we touched on earlier with the crash the car accident thing um i do appreciate that that a show that desperately needed other forms of storytelling is actually getting a different form of storytelling here with the not really acknowledging him. And Corey Graves said, what the hell, or something along those lines, and not really going. Because two weeks ago, this would have been, it's Dexter Loomis, what's he doing here? And why did he crash his 
car. And the salty hammer did drop a little bit because after the show, WWE uploaded a YouTube video say, saying Dexter Loomis crashes raw. And it's like, oh, you can't help yourself. You can't you, help yourself. You can't help yourself. So, you know, there's an element of it. But yeah, no, I do appreciate the whole um, leaving at least a little bit to the viewer's imagination, kind of keeping it ambiguous. Um, it's another thing that maybe requires a bit of rewiring for fans who maybe watch this and just went, eh, I don't know. No one told me what this means. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to, there's no storytelling here. Um, don't know why I did that voice for, for whatever, but <laughs> yeah, like I, I do, I do earnestly appreciate the effort. I like that they did something that's atypical of what the show has been for like 20 odd years. Um, and I am willing to give it a chance. There we go. Are you saying, Murray, in the, in the perfect closing <laughs> note to this podcast, that you are willing to let Dexter Loomis on Raw play out? Trust the process, Michael. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've, I've been on holiday for two weeks and everything bloody changed. Right. Um, are you going to let it play out, guys, in the comments section underneath the Twitter link to this podcast? Let us know, is this enthusiasm patronizing is it and we just want to know your opinions on the show you can yeah. do so underneath the twitter link to this podcast at what culture wwe whilst you're there you can follow andy murray at at andy h murray the h stands for h three of them h comma papa oh wow <laughs> papa h makes me sick by the way i, I find it nauseating Who'd you prefer who's the best papa papa h papa shango or papa john oh he's a bad guy isn't he papa john Shango. Shango. There we go. Charles Wright. Shout out to the God. Absolutely. Big fan. And if you stick around on your podcast feeds later on today, you will find the NXT 2.0 preview. I, I don't know anything that happened on that goddamn show, so that's going to be a hoot, I suspect. Um, back tomorrow with the usual schedule of things. Um, and until then, we will see you soon. Thanks for joining us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.